We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. On today's podcast, I actually have two guests with me, um, Heather Ashwood and Megan Smith. To start out with, for those that are listeners, uh, we do our podcast over Zoom. So we're going to, I've never had two guests at the same time. So we'll see how this works out and we'll see if we can't figure out how to do probably what would be a, a typical two hour conversation between the three of us um, into like squish it down into like 45 minutes for that ideal podcast time. But so Heather, why don't we just uh, introduce yourself if you don't mind and you can kind of tell us a little bit about you and, and your husband and Aiden. Uh, um, so my name is Heather Ashwood and I have a wonderful husband named Donald and we are parents of a three and a half year old little boy named Aiden who is wild and crazy and a full on all over the place little boy so um, he keeps us on our toes for sure. Um, we are, my husband and I are both state employees and we've been lucky to be working at home for the last year and a half. And um, so we've just been really enjoying watching Aiden grow up. I love it. Since today's podcast is going to be primarily about introducing cystic fibrosis and uh, creating that awareness, why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, from what I understand, Aiden uh, was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis pretty early on in life. So if you don't mind kind of just sharing kind of that history and and maybe how you learned about it and some of that, uh, some of those emotions and experience that you had. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Aiden is our first and only child. And so, um, you know, all of the things leading up to his birth, we had a really healthy pregnancy and so excited. Um, we went into the hospital, just like I think any new mom and dad do just expecting to have this baby and then two days later bring him home and smother him with all the grandmas and grandpas and family and um, take him everywhere and show him everything. And um, our story went quite differently, obviously, which is how I met you all. But um, when Aiden was born, um, they handed him to me um, for just a few seconds and took him away right away because he was really gray, which I guess is a pretty common thing with newborns who just aren't like getting their first breath really well. And so we knew when he was born that um, he was just like struggling to catch a full breath right away. And so Aiden was taken into um, sort of like an urgent care nursery kind of. He wasn't really transferred to the NICU yet. They just moved him to monitor him. And um, that was the first like really big emotions I felt as a mama because my my firstborn baby and I expected to be holding him for, um, for hours and just loving on him. And I didn't, um, having not had a baby yet, I didn't realize how emotionally that would affect me just like them taking him right away. So basically from five minutes after his birth for the next 
you know, three months of his life, I was pretty much an emotional train wreck <laughs> along the way. So they took Aiden to this uh, special care nursery, and I remembered sending my husband with him. Um, and so I went from having a room full of people. They called in all kinds of nurses and doctors when he wasn't catching his breath, and it was like complete chaos to all of a sudden the room was empty, and I was the only person left. And I just remember like praying, like, God, bring, bring my bring my baby back in this room with me. He doesn't belong with other people. Um, and that was sort of the start of a whirlwind month for us in the NICU. Over the first couple of days, and I'll be really honest with you, the first like probably 10 days of his life are such a blur to me because I think I was so overwhelmed with like adrenaline and nerves and stress that everyone in our family tells the story really differently. Um, because we all processed it really differently. But we we just thought maybe he was struggling to breathe, you know, and I grew up with asthma and things like that. And so I thought, you know, maybe it's just something like that. Or he was born, um, he was born four weeks early. And so, you know, maybe he was just needed a little more help with his lungs. And then over the next about three, I think about three days, he was monitored and he was, um, hooked up to like some oxygen that was helping give pressure to his lungs to expand them. And he started breathing really, really well, but he didn't ever like pass a diaper. And um, that is when they started getting concerned about him maybe having some kind of stomach issues. And again, you know, my husband and I were just thinking, that he was born early and he just needed a little extra help. He needed to grow a little to be ready to come home. Living in the living in the NICU at this time, 24 hours a day at the hospital we were at, um, at the time, they allowed you to be like to sleep in the room. And so I, I didn't leave for anything. I'm sure my family thought that I was just nuts. Like they had to drag me away to make me consume water. Doctors started asking us questions about family history, and it never clicked to me, not once, that there could be anything other than he was just born early, like he was just so little. In my head, there was nothing, it was nothing else. He just needed to grow, and I really struggled to embrace the questions that they were asking me because I wasn't mentally or emotionally ready for it. And he was, let's see, he still hadn't passed any diapers at about three days old. And that's when they transferred us to another hospital that had a higher acuity NICU um, and started talking to us about the possibility of him having some kind of stomach issues or some kind of blockage. And we didn't know if he, like, they talked to us about maybe the opening from his stomach to his intestines had was like shut because that is something that happens sometimes. Maybe there was some kind of blockage, maybe. And so he wasn't eating. He was spitting up everything that went into his stomach. He was getting littler every day. So that's when they transferred us. And at the time, um, there were tons of babies and NICUs all over the city. And so they talked about transferring us from Oklahoma City to Tulsa but then Tulsa was full. And then they talked about transferring us 
to Texas or possibly another state nearby. And they were talking about putting our baby on a helicopter and we weren't allowed to go with him. And that is when I had um, like uh, my first real, like really strong meltdown because that sounded scary. I mean, it was already scary that he wasn't really thriving. But, you know, you hear a lot about babies who have failure to thrive and then a few days in the hospital and then they still go home. And that for me was like, oh my gosh, like something really big is going on. And that is also when they started preparing us for the possibility of, you know, you could be in the NICU a really long time. You could, um, like... I, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like I remember talking to like a guidance counselor who was talking to us about the possibility, of, like just so many things. And my mind went crazy and they tell you not to look on the internet. And so naturally my husband and I got on the internet and we're like, why is my baby not having a diaper? Why is my baby on oxygen? Why is my, you know, and in a whirlwind of six hours, suddenly there was like a miracle and an, another hospital had an opening for us in the city that was like five miles away. And so we had family bringing us clothes, like going into our house and letting our dog out and bringing us bags of all this random things. And um, we went over to this other hospital where um, we got there and it was like three in the morning because that's when the ambulance was able to transfer us over and all the things. I don't remember if I had slept yet. I mean, it was just crazy, right? And that's when I remember a doctor asking me for the first time, do you have any family history of cystic fibrosis? I am almost embarrassed to say I had, I had no idea what it was. Like, there are so many different um, genetic, um, genetic anomalies and things like that. And I, I was getting cystic fibrosis and cerebral palsy mixed up in my head. Like I just, I was unsure. And then within, in the next like six hours, we had probably four or five different people ask us the same question. And my sister-in-law is a nurse. And so I was like, Rachel, I, what, why are they asking us this? Yes. And she was asking me like all these questions about our family history. And we had no family history of cystic fibrosis and no we never met anyone with cystic fibrosis. And um, I remember her saying, it's really rare. They're probably just asking you, you know, like all the questions, like it's, let's not worry about it until we have your, all the things. Um, and then I believe on day four in the NICU is when after lots of x-rays and tests, they discovered that Aiden had a meconium ileus, which is a blockage in his intestines. And they told us that our baby would have surgery the next morning. And that was like really big emotions number two, because not only do I not know what's going on, but you're telling me that my not even five day old baby is going to be put under. I'm like, man, I, I just remember being completely overwhelmed. Um, also somewhere around this time is when you start to realize 
like the financial burden of like, I had cash with me to pay for having a baby because I know exactly how much it costs to have in case I needed a C-section and exactly how much it costs to have a baby. And so I was ready to like pay for my baby and go home. And um, somewhere around this time when they're talking about like infant surgery and NICU, I remember asking my husband, like, what are we, like, what are we going to do? Can we afford this? I mean, is this like, is this going to put us under? And of course, like you do, you do whatever it takes and you don't think about it. But I remember somewhere along that time being like, I don't know how we're going to survive after this. The next day, Aiden had surgery. And I remember them telling us, you know, it would be a couple of hours. Um, I hadn't yet been able to hold Aiden um, since he, they took him from me right after his birth. And I remember, um, I don't know her name. I wish I could hug her, but I remember there being a nurse. I can't even see her face. And um, she asked me if I wanted to hold him before he went. Sorry, I'm getting so emotional. It's so, um, the memories are just so vivid about some things. And, um, and I remember just holding him and praying, like, please, God, don't let this be the last time I hold this baby. Just, you know care for him and bring him back to me and I still in my mind there was still like this is just a crazy thing and he's gonna have surgery and then we're gonna go home and we'll you know we'll laugh about this when he's like 10 and it'll just be a thing where mama was that crazy mama in the NICU that all the nurses were like will this lady ever go home like I just waiting for that you know um but his surgery that was supposed to be a couple hours turned into like all day I mean, we just sat there and waited and waited. My husband was there and our amazing, my amazing in-laws were there and my sister-in-law was there. And we basically took a whole section of the surgery waiting room and we camped out and we just didn't leave. And I, you know, now I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you how long we were there. I don't know. But at the time it felt like we were there for days just waiting and our surgeon came out. Um, amazing, amazing, awesome human being um, to tell us that everything went great with our surgery. But I remember him sitting down in the chair and taking my hands. And that was the next minute for me that was like, I don't know. I just remember there being so many moments where I didn't know if I had the strength as a person to take the news. And that was one of them where it was just like so overwhelming. And he said, you know, told us all the good news, like the blockage was cleared and everything else in there looked so good. And um, he, was, he was, his heart was beating so strong and um, everything went according to plan. But he said, I want you to know that this is something when we see this, it usually means that the child has cystic fibrosis. And I just remember, well, like, what does that mean? Is there, like, do, do we need, is there medic? Like, what do we, I just went into, like, planning mama. Like, I am ready to, like, what do I do? How do I fix it? Because I'm a fixer. And I believe, like, me and my planner and my lists, we can do anything, right? Um, and he told us at that time to, you know, like, wait on your genetic testing. We're going to send a specialist to meet you. Um, don't look on the internet. 
it was like 7 p.m. We went, um, we were able to get like a little hotel room that was in the hotel, which was really cool. I didn't know that that was a thing until I had Aiden. Um, and so we went back to the hotel room. And all this time, by the way, I'm like trying to pump every two hours because it was the only thing that I could do for my baby was pump. And so I was a crazy machine. Like I had my timer set for two hours. I didn't need to sleep. I didn't need anything. That was the thing that kept me going. So I was like waking up to pump every two hours. You don't have anything to do for that 20 minutes, 30 minutes, right? And so I got on the internet and my husband was sleeping and I was awake and by myself and struggling to pump and all this like not knowing, reading about what cystic fibrosis was. And lo and behold, the first article I came across was talking about how the average life expectancy for a child was five years old. And we know now that that's not true. That's what it used to be. You know, me medicine has come such a long way. And we're, we're, we're literally seeing miracles for these babies. But at, you know, three in the morning in a hotel room, reading about how my baby might not make it to kindergarten after we had struggled to get pregnant and we had prayed for this child. And then... We were, we were grieving our expectations, you know, our expectations of like having this baby and putting them in the cute onesie because I had 12 onesies in the bag in case I changed my mind about his outfit and taking him to cuddle all, all of our friends and family. And um, I did not know, I did not know how I would make it through the end of the week. And I just felt so helpless. I mean, just at loss for, I couldn't fix that. It was his DNA. You know, cystic fibrosis is caused by a genetic anomaly. And genetics are something we're still learning about. It's not something, it's not allergies or it's not currently treatable. I mean, we have so many great medications to prevent symptoms but there's not a cure for cystic fibrosis. And um, I just, it just was incredibly heavy. And we didn't know anybody. I did not have a tribe. I mean, I have an awesome mom tribe of kids of all ages and genders and life experiences. And I couldn't ask any of them. I couldn't ask any of them for help. And I couldn't ask any of them for suggestions because nobody we knew knew anything about it um that's definitely one of my questions to you is yeah who did you reach out to where where did you start well google which by the way is the wrong answer you should never 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 do that ever again um i think about a day or two I can't remember if it was before or after his surgery, but I do remember somewhere in there meeting you. And I do remember um, learning about the Oklahoma Family Network, of which was really the first place outside of our bubble of doctors and my family that I went was to actually, it was an alumni meeting of 
all of these mamas of different like miracle children with all different reasons why they spent time in the NICU. And that for me was one of the first moments where I could breathe amidst all of the things. I mean, I remember meeting a family who had spent, like we talked about at that meeting, there were people who were in the 100 club. They spent 100 days there, 200. We met a little boy whose family was at the NICU until well after his first birthday. And I thought like, man, they are thriving. And if they can do that, then I can do that too. But I still didn't have a great connection to anyone. None of them had any experience with cystic fibrosis. Which I know in a minute we're going to hear Megan, who you ended up walking hand in hand with. But um, but yeah, so I yeah, please continue and, and share with us. Like, where did you reach out? Yeah, um, well, we met several families through the Oklahoma Family Network. And one of the families that was at that meeting introduced themselves to me like through Facebook or something later that day. And she said, I know a family who can help you. And it was, it turns out it's one of the, uh, the families that we're really close with now who was really involved in the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. And they have a little boy who's probably like, I don't, he's probably five years older than Aiden. And she just sent me a Facebook message and said, hey, my friends told me about you. And this is a picture of my little boy and we have been there. And I want you to know if you can make it out of the hospital, like if you can just keep it together and get out of the hospital, you're going to be just fine. But I just remember that speaking to me. And this was in the midst of being like, bombarded because by this time people knew we were in the hospital people you know I ran a dance studio before I had Aiden and so hundreds of people involved in our lives and they knew that I hadn't come back and so they knew that I had the baby I was like pregnant way out to West Texas before I left so it's, there's no missing that's why we were gone and so just like through these like piles of messages and I just wasn't opening them. I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to like talk about it. And I felt so overwhelmed just by experience that I didn't know how to communicate that to other people. And I don't know why I opened her message. Maybe it was because I didn't know who it was. Like I was just like scrolling through and I didn't recognize the name. So I opened it and um, it just really spoke to me. Like, this is rare, but we're not the only people. There are other people other people who are thriving and who have experienced this and they are doing just fine. And so that gave, that like helped me in all the grief and in all of the stress and the overwhelming. What I started to do was go on social media like Instagram, Facebook, that kind of thing. And look for groups of people who were caregivers and look for people. I looked for adults with cystic fibrosis is what I looked for. I looked for adults with cystic fibrosis sharing their journey on social media. And for me, that was the thing that made me really able to breathe because they beat the odds and they were adults. And I found people who were married 
and I found people who had children, which for males, especially with cystic fibrosis, the ability to have children is very rare. But I found a dad who's like 45 doing his treatments on his Instagram. And it just gave me the ability to imagine a life for Aiden past preschool, which um, really just helped us to transition from freaking out. I mean, we were freaking out. There's no good way to say it. We were stressed. We were exhausted. We didn't know what was going on and we were freaking out. And we can laugh about that now just in hindsight of like, I always, I always, um, when we see our friends from the NICU, I was just like, thank you for, thank you for embracing me in because I don't even remember. Was I sweet to you? Was I horrible to you? Was I weeping in the corner? I know I was. Was it like, thank you for loving me and for loving my child in the midst of me being completely broken. And from there, you know, it just grew and blossomed. We got connected with the um, the Oklahoma chapter of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. And those women, let me tell you, they are the embodiment of grace and compassion. And they are just, they are relentless and making sure you are taken care of and making sure you're connected. And from one person, it became five people to a network of families, a huge network of families. And really through that experience, in the time it took me to find someone I could ask questions to, which really, I really found our network after we lost the left the hospital. We were we were in the NICU for about twenty eight days, twenty one days, twenty three days, somewhere in there, somewhere past twenty and before thirty. I'm telling you, it's a very big blur for us. But after we finally got to take him home, is when I really started reaching out to other people because that's when um, some of the fear started leaving me. And some of the, um, you know, a diagnosis like that is overwhelming for years, um, maybe for a lifetime, but it felt less like something to be afraid of and more of something to pursue uh, answers for. Yeah, so that's when we started really getting more connected. And that's, you know, when that happened, that's when I decided, like, I wanted to be the person for someone else on day one because the time between diagnosis day and finding the community was too it was just too long that's what really made my heart passionate about new mamas of babies with cystic fibrosis because I think so often when a diagnosis like that comes you, your whole team, your whole family becomes so rallied around the diagnosis. The mamas, the mamas need somebody to fight for them too. And the dads and, and siblings and, you know, the whole family. But I just, my heart was for the mamas after that. And so. That's great. That's great. I'm going to have some follow-up questions here in a little bit. So, uh, so definitely sit tight and don't leave me. Um, but Megan, let's go ahead and transition into that because I know that part of um, part of how we've all come together today is a result of two moms that were sitting in the NICU um, years apart 
that we're able to connect through various means. So Megan, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you learned about your diagnosis with Abigail and, um, and kind of walk us through a little bit of the same things that, um, that Heather shared with us. Yes, so I am Megan Smith. I am married to Benjamin. We have a almost five-year-old son, Elisha, and an almost two-year-old daughter, Abigail. Abigail has cystic fibrosis. You would never know it by looking at her unless you saw the scars from her surgeries. But what you would see is a sassy, spunky, feisty little girl who knows what she wants. And she keeps us in check every single day. Our story is very similar. And we were so excited when we found out that we were pregnant with Abigail. And, you know, we had this healthy little boy at home, no known family history of any genetic disorders. So I did not do any prenatal testing, you know, when I was pregnant with her because we didn't think there was a need for it. We talked about it with my OBGYN and we both agreed that, you know, we didn't know of anything. And so we weren't going to do it. Um, for the most part, I had a really healthy pregnancy. I did come down with kidney stones at eight months pregnant. And so I had to have surgery for that and a stent placed until after I gave birth. But really all in all, that was, that wasn't a huge deal as long as Abigail was healthy. I ended up being induced with Abigail at 40 weeks and three days. It was a quick induction. I went in, I think, at like 7.30 and started the whole process by like 8.30 or 9 and she was here at 2. So it was really smooth, no complications until she was born. As soon as she came out, she was having trouble breathing. It kind of sounded like she was gurgling, like she had liquid in her throat that she could not clear. She was breathing, she was crying, but she just couldn't clear this liquid. Benjamin will tell you, because, you know, I was kind of out of it with the medicine and giving birth and all that, but he just noticed that they kept getting on the phone and calling more people into the room. And I could see the panic in his face. I wasn't able to hold her because they immediately took her. They were trying to get her stable. So they called in the NICU doctor. Um, they told us that they needed to take her to the NICU and put her on oxygen, that they thought that her trachea was not attached and that she would have to have emergency surgery. And so from strong suggestion from my husband and one of the nurses, um, I got to hold her for about 30 seconds before they took her to the NICU. So they took her to the NICU. They got her on oxygen. They got her stable. They did x-rays. That was all cleared. So her trachea was fine. She once was on oxygen. She cleared, you know, the liquid out. She became stable and they just wanted to monitor her for 24 hours. We were like, okay, that's fine. You know, we want to make sure that she's okay. So do do it. So at this time, I was still dealing with my kidney stone issues. We got to go into the NICU and see her, um, but we couldn't hold her. 
the next day they came back and they said that she had not had a bowel movement. And because of that, her stomach was really distended and they took x-rays and they saw a narrowing in her intestine. And they thought that that was the problem, that it was not allowing the meconium to pass. And that was backing up and there was a lot of gas built up in there and she just couldn't pass anything. So they told us they thought there were two options, that they were going to take her in for surgery and they were going to go in and they were going to remove the narrowed part of her intestines and reattach it and it would be okay. Or they would go in and they would remove it. Um... And if they weren't able to reattach it, that she would have to have a stoma for a little bit, but then they would go back in once it healed and reattached it and she would be okay. And so we were like, okay, that's of course not what we ever had imagined, but if that's what you need to do to bring our baby girl back to us, then go do it. And so she went into surgery. I didn't even get to see her before she went into surgery because I had to be taken away to get x-rays for my kidney stones because I had a stent placed. So Benjamin, my husband, went with my sister-in-law, who is a pediatric nurse as well. So that was kind of tough that I wasn't able to go see my baby girl before she got rolled away to surgery. But I knew she was in good hands. and you know, I had faith in the doctors and all that. So by the time surgery was done in our room, we had my parents, my husband, my husband's parents, and my sister-in-law all in the room waiting for results. I still feel for the surgeon who had to come and tell us because it was a crowd in our room. When he walked in, he also walked in with the head of the NICU, and I automatically knew that probably wasn't the best sign. So he came in and sat down. I mean, this is one day after giving birth, so I'm still on pain medicine. You know, I'm still, like, processing all of it, dealing with kidney stones, you know, all that. So, like... Heather said, like, it's still kind of foggy and probably everyone would say different things of how it went down. But I remember him saying, so both the things that we thought were going to happen didn't happen. And I was like, okay, so what does that mean? Like, what? And he said, so we went in there and we found out that she has a meconium ileus which is that tar-like, you know, baby poop. It was blocking it. It didn't allow anything to pass. And he said that 99.9% .9 of the time when a child has this, it means they have cystic fibrosis. And I mean, you could just see everybody in the room, their face just kind of like went blank. And I was like, okay, like I've heard of it. I know there was like a movie that came out about it or something, but like, I really have no idea what this is. And so automatically people just start, you know, asking questions and asking questions. And I'm still like trying to process what's going on. 
I just said, okay, tell me, is my baby girl going to be okay? Is she going to be able to come home? And is she going to, is she going to be okay? And he said, she'll be okay. They've got great advancements and cystic fibrosis. Your normal will look different from other people's, but she will be okay. Don't Google it. Wait to talk to the specialist. And like, after that, I just zoned out. So I have no idea what anybody else was saying after that, honestly. But once they said she'll be okay, I was like, okay, we can do this. Like, I don't care what else from here on out. Like, tell me she's coming home and she'll be okay. I'll deal with whatever I have to do to make this work. So like Heather said, that was the first thing my husband did was Google it. He would now advise anybody to never Google because he also found outdated information and it really took a toll on him. He pretty much shut down for a couple of days. And that was really hard because here I have my husband kind of mourning what he thinks is going on, all while we're still trying to process this diagnosis. We also have a son that we have to be strong for. It was, that was just really tough to try and get him out of this dark place while still dealing with everything else going on in our world as well. Abigail ended up being in the NICU for 28 days. She had stomach on her intestine. They tried to do a pick line three times, which they were never successful. And it's always scary because every time that they try, they have to put her under. And it's really, you never want your four-day-old to go under two days after they've already been sedated. And so... That was hard every single time when they came back and they were like, it didn't work again. Um, and I mean, she also had a heart murmur. She had fluid in her lungs. I mean, there was a host of other problems that we were also having to deal with, but we have never prayed harder for poop in our lives. I mean, that was, people were asking what they you know, could do for us. And I was like, honestly, you can pray that our daughter poops. Like, that's just how it is. Because every day when we would go in and say, what goals do we have? It was for her to have a bowel movement. And 20 days after she had the surgery, that's when she had her first bowel movement. And it felt like eternity. I mean, just waiting on this little girl. I also, at this time, you know, have a son at home. And so it was, do we stay in the hospital with her? Do we go home to our son who his life has kind of changed? And all of our family lives out of state. So luck, we were so blessed that they kind of did shifts with us. And so when my parents were able to stay, they stayed. And then they switched out with Benjamin's parents. So we constantly had somebody staying with us to help us. So they really watched Elijah while we went up to the NICU and stayed with Abby. So I did not stay overnight with Abigail. I stayed all day during the day. 
but we kind of had to maintain a normal routine for Elijah as well, which was so hard because it, you have the guilt of not being in the NICU with Abby, but then when you're with Abby, you have the guilt of not being at home with your son who is older and can kind of understand that mommy's not there like she normally is. So I had a lot of guilt about that as well. Also had surgery for my kidney stones during this time while Abby was in the NICU. So it was just a whirlwind of emotions and like picking and choosing where you could be and when. It was really tough, but we were blessed with some of the most amazing nurses and doctors. And one of those nurses, when we were leaving the NICU one night, she chased us down in the hallway and she said, Hey, I, my nephew has CF and I want to set you up with them. There's this thing called Oklahoma Family Network. And if it's okay, you know, here's this form, you know, I can pass along your information and we can set y'all up so you can talk. His story is just like Abigail's. We really want to get you connected with them. And I was like, heck yeah. Like any information that I can get about it, that is not the scary Google black hole like I want. I'm that type of person that I feel like if I research it and I know what I'm up against and I can prepare, then I can tackle it. And so the more I know about CF, the more I feel prepared, the more that I know that I can be there for Abigail and take on whatever it is that I have to do to make sure that my baby girl is thriving. Tamara brought in this sweet letter from this family and it had pictures of this little boy with a huge smile on his face running around and it just said we're family because I know this might not be the family you expected but now that you're a NICU mom you're a part of a group and we're pretty much bonded forever and I just felt like I wasn't alone. That there's this rare disease that my little girl has, a genetic progressive disease that has a life expectancy. And you never, ever want to hear those words when you're talking about your child. But I saw what he was growing up to be and what Abigail could grow up to be. She said, you're fearless. And she has this bracelet as a reminder that you have to be fearless for yourself and for your family and for your baby. So we got connected and I always say that it's a lifeline that we never knew that we needed because it really brought us back down to reality. Not the scary Google reality, but like real life every day. Hey, heads up, this is what we're going through now. So this is kind of what you could expect, but it's not as scary as, you know, what they put out there. And this is our reality. This is our new normal. That's how we got involved. That's how we're here today. 
and now because of that, like, because Heather wanted to pay it forward, that is now what I'm doing. And I am now the genetics and NICU support partner for the Oklahoma Family Network. So I can be there for families who find out that their child has a genetic diagnosis or that their child will have a NICU stay. And I can be there for them and tell them, yes, this is scary. And you have decisions to make, but every feeling that you are feeling is valid. It is okay to be scared. It is okay to be angry. You are allowed to do that because that's how it is. Y'all, both of y'all have brought me to tears. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, listening to both of you share your stories, um, I mean, clearly it, it, it has a lasting impact and both of you are um, paying it forward in unique ways and um, supporting other moms and uh, even though y'all are still, um, I mean, Aiden's three and a half, you know, and so as, as a three and a half year old, you guys are still learning and still progressing and, and absorbing all the information. And, and we've talked about at this point in the podcast, we're going to take a pause and let you process everything from their delivery to their diagnosis, to the surgeries and um, everything that they've experienced in, in all of learning about cystic fibrosis. Our next podcast, we will pick up and some of those questions that I have for them in just trying to educate and learn and uh, bring awareness to cystic fibrosis from a parent perspective. So I hope you'll join us in the next podcast as I continue on and ask Heather and Megan some really hard questions that uh, just about life in general, living with a child who has cystic fibrosis. So thank you again for joining us today and we look forward to having you join us in the next one. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405 271-5072.